All right, folks. Well, welcome to another uh, Twitter Spaces. We now have an official name, which is one thing I'm excited to announce. So we will now call this Cap and Trade. So we're excited to have that name. As always, I'm your host, Texans Cap. You can call me TC or Cap for short. Tonight we have another spectacular show playing with Sean Pendergast joining us. As always, if you're new to our Spaces discussions, we generally discuss the Houston Texans. But we're always open to questions about the league, salary cap, contracts, anything else on your mind. We'll try to shoot for one hour. We are a little bit of flexibility on that, but we'll try to cap it at one hour. There's a mic button on the bottom left of your screen, which will allow you to request speaking rights. So just tap that and put yourself in the queue. We'll get to as many questions as we can as long as, as you know, as, as we go along with things. So, you know, as you get in line, as your requests come up, I'll call out names before we uh, turn over speaking rights to you. So just, you know, be prepared when it's your turn. Please note that this Spaces, spaces session is being recorded. And uh, like I said, if this is your first time joining us, this is a, you know, a listener-driven show. But we do have some uh, talking points that I've, you know, come up with beforehand. We sprinkle those in as we go. And if you are returning, which I do see a lot of uh, a lot of names that have been, uh, have been joining us week in and week out. So if you're coming back, we appreciate it as always. And with that, we'll get going tonight. We're joined by Houston radio legend Sean Pendergast of the Morning Drive Show with Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. Thanks for joining us, Sean. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. It's good to, it's good to be on here. I've, I've, seen you, uh, I've seen you doing a few of these with some of my compadres on here, so I was excited when I got the text from you to, uh, to, to jump on with you and uh, chop it up about some Texans. Yeah, no, I appreciate, appreciate you making the time. I know it's been a uh, busy day between the morning show and then you had the the Astros clinching things up, and so I know it's been a long day for you. Um, but yeah, the, a lot of the folks from over there have been done. You know, Landry's come on a few times, uh, Seth a few a few weeks back. Uh, I think Brandon's going to join me next week. So um, definitely, definitely happy to have you guys. And we'll just start off. You know, just overall thoughts on the two performance from the New England game. We'll start off with you. Yeah, I think. Um, look, overall, just in terms of the the the. Uh, the effort they put, I, I, look, the, the spread coming into that game, coming into the week was nine and a half. It got down to seven and a half the day of the game, I think, because of all the injuries on the offensive line of the Patriots. But the Patriots were still a one and three team with a rookie quarterback coming into NRG Stadium as a more than a touchdown favorite. And I thought that was crazy all week, even though the Texans looked horrible in Buffalo. Um, we know it's the NFL and things change week to week. So I was really surprised that the Patriots were as heavily favored as they were coming into that game. And I think it kind of played out that, at least in, from the standpoint of the competitiveness of the game, that I was, that I was right about that. Um, so I think I, I, was, I was pleasantly, I, I won't say surprised, but I was, I was enthused by the way the Texans bounced back from how they performed in Buffalo. So that's the good. I think the other good thing was the way that Davis Mills performed. You know, I think there were some throws that he made in that game that probably aren't things that you can expect to happen every week. You know, 67 of the yards that he got were on basically a jump ball to Chris Moore that was misplayed by a couple of DBs. They cashed in on it, and that's great. Um, But I thought he made a lot of plays and a lot of throws and showed some mobility in that game that, you know, certainly left us a lot more encouraged than we were the week before. And I think at least made for – made and makes for some interesting conversation with respect to Terod Taylor whenever Terod does come back. And we know he's not going to be back this week, so we'll get at least one more week of Davis Mills. Obviously, the negatives were the game management stuff with David Culley, which if you listen to our show, we've been 
all over that all week long. And I, I, I just, I, I, the decisions at the time in the game, I didn't like, I mean, literally sitting up in the press box saying, let them score, let them score. I was saying it from about the two and a half minute mark, let them score. And then he had a chance to let them score and he accepts a penalty. And, and just his explanation after the game was seriously lacking. His explanation of his explanation on Monday was seriously lacking about the only good thing I can say about the way David Culley handled everything was that he was, he, he at least is somebody who, when he makes a mistake, admits his mistake and said, I should have done this. The problem is you can't just keep admitting I should have done this. If you get too many should have done this, it's stacked up that are costing your team games or costing your team's possessions that ultimately contribute to a loss, then, um, then you shouldn't be a head coach. Um, so that's, that to me was the, 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 uh, the biggest negative in the game is that I, you know, you come away. There were a lot of concerns about David Culley coming into the, coming into the season that, you know, he'd never been a head coach before. What was he going to be like as a game manager, things like that. Sunday was the first time that I feel like all of the fears that I had about David Culley were being, were being realized. So um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably, you know, they're, they're not as, they're, they're not as emotionally moved by the Texans losing a game because in the long run, you know, they want higher draft capital or whatever the case may be. I'm rooting for them to win games, you know, especially against the Patriots. Um, so that was disappointing, really disappointing, uh, infuriating almost. So that was, the, that was the negative of the whole thing. So I was happy that they were able to bounce back and put forth a pretty solid effort um, against the uh, Patriots. But at the end of the day, you can't have your head coach costing you games like that. Yeah, I mean, you hit on probably three or four points I wanted to talk to about, and we'll just dive right into the, the to the coaching errors with Coley. And yeah, I mean, the the explanation right after the game, and I understand you're you're kind of still pumped up on adrenaline, and you may not exactly be all a hundred percent there, but I mean, he just wasn't even close when he came to his his explanation on on that not accepting the penalty or accepting the penalty, and instead of letting them score on the penalty, you know, talking about a pass that didn't happen. And that just leads – it just makes me wonder if he's truly overwhelmed out there. I mean, luckily he's not calling plays at the same time. But, I mean, just the way he's acting, I mean, it seems to be – he seems to be a good leader. He seems to be a good guy in the locker room. I just – today – this game truly shows whether or not he can handle the the play-to-play management, the game management of the of the, of the the team as things are going and making those critical decisions in a span of – well, you have maybe five or ten seconds to make that critical decision. So can he make those? Obviously, he's shown that he can't so far. And like you said, it, you, you know, it's like, it's like a child. You can only stay, say sorry so many times. You've got to start making the right decisions. And the, those kind of things, along with that and, you know, not going forward on fourth and down and letting Fairbairn attempt a 56-yard field goal, when he's already missed twice from extra point range, it's obvious either his injury is still not 100% or he's in between his ears again. And so all of these decisions, it just really makes me wonder about him. And it's, you know, it's the same thing with fourth downs and going forward on fourth downs. You know, he's talked about how he just, he goes on a gut feeling. And there's absolutely, from what I can tell, there doesn't seem to be any consistency with, with, with his decision-making on fourth down. Doesn't seem to be any. I don't know if there's anybody from upstairs, you know, routing information down to him. You know, when you know, you're obviously not going to be speaking in win probability models or anything like that. But you also, you 
I know a majority of teams will have somebody in their ear saying, Coach, this is the numbers say we should go for this based on this. You know, give him five seconds of information to make a decision. I don't know that the Texans are doing that. And given that they have a guy in their analytics department, Weller Ross, who wrote a paper, a thesis paper yeah. on fourth down examinations and, and biased decision on, more, on fourth down. So all of that information coupled together through the first five weeks, just it's starting to make me question it from a, from a game day perspective. He's like I said, he seems to be great in the locker room. He seems to be great with leading culture. The players a majority of the players seem to really like him and are willing to do whatever they can for him, but it doesn't seem to be translating over to the field to game day. Yeah. No, you, you put a lot out there TC right there. So I just, I, I think the one thing, one thing you touched on was the consistency. Like they had gone for it on fourth down in that game three times and converted three times, and all of them were on the arm of Davis Mills. So that fourth and four that you're talking about from the New England 38, I thought they should have gone for it there. I think the play is to go for it, or especially once you got a delay of game penalty, instead they burned a timeout. But once the play clock burned down, take the penalty and then punt at that point. The last thing you want to do is kick a field goal with a field goal kicker that's missed two extra points and is coming off of a pulled muscle injury and hasn't really kicked very much this year. Um and, and that, was the, that was what they chose. And I think that's the most disturbing thing to me. It's not the wrong decisions. It's that there's this Keystone Cops thing going on to ultimately arrive at the wrong decision. You know what I mean? There's all this indecision that eventually leads to the wrong decision. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. just, that they, it wasn't just that they chose to send Kaimi Fairbairn to, out there to kick a 56-yard field goal. Like, if they just sent him out there, if it was fourth and four at the 38, and they, you know, the referee spots the ball – and out comes the field goal team to line up and kick a 56-yard field goal. I wouldn't have agreed with it, but at least it was decisive and you can give a reason for it that they're all looking at each other and they're, 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 they're starting to trot this guy out and then he trots back and then he trots out and then ultimately they burn a timeout because nobody knows what the hell they're doing. That's the frustrating part, you know, especially because they could have used that timeout towards the end of the game, um, you know, when they, when they botched the uh, – you know, when they botched the whole touchdown sequence down there. So I, I think the inconsistency of decision-making, like, they, like the, the fourth down stuff is, is funny because they, they've gone for it three times successfully with Davis Mills throwing the ball. So why wouldn't you be confident there, especially in a game where your defense is starting to get a little gassed? I didn't have a problem that if they had missed it, that the Patriots would have had the ball at the 38 because there'd be a decent chance that if you punted, it's getting punted into the end zone and you're only picking up 18 yards of field position. And, and, and honestly, your defense was kind of getting gassed at that point anyway. So I felt like it was one of those things, like whether they start at the 10 or the 38, it felt like the Patriots were going to be, you know, it was going to be a bend but don't break situation where you were trying to hold them to three instead of seven anyways. Like you weren't getting off the field at that juncture in the game defensively. So I thought they should have gone for it. And when he didn't go for it, I'm like, man, this guy is like, he's like that blackjack player. Like if you play blackjack and you sit at a table and you got a dude sitting at third base and sometimes he hits on 16 and sometimes he stays on 16 against the face card. Like there's just no rhyme nor reason. You want somebody who sitting there who <laughs> at least is consistent in what they do. Like pick a, either stay or hit, but stick with it. Like have a, and I, I've always said that I, I, and I'm dead serious about this. And I've told people, I've told, I've told people in positions of influence that make decisions like this. As I said, if I were in, if I were interviewing a head coach for an NFL team, I would take them to the Golden Nugget and play blackjack with them, because you get immediate, you get immediate um, 
uh, uh, information on how well they do at assessing risk and making quick decisions on things that have certain percentages attached to them. You know what I mean? Like, that's, first of all, that's, that's a great, <laughs> yeah. Well, and here, here's, well, here's, here's, here's the other thing. Like some people will go, well, what if they don't play blackjack? Well, then I wouldn't hire him as my head. Coach. Ah, there you, you go. There you you go. have to play, you have to want to play blackjack. If you're going to be my head coach, but I would bring, I would bring any head coaching candidate to a casino and have them play blackjack and watch them play blackjack for a half hour. And I'm being dead serious about that. Like you can't tell me that David Cully based on the way that he, handles things in game and the way we're watching he would be the most infuriating blackjack player of all time he would be staring at his cards probably ordering a drink looking around and and certainly not choosing to stay consistent with what he'd split face cards for sure and then explain why he did it so um yeah it's just it's bad you know we're gonna come to a day where these games mean a whole lot more than than the game on sunday against the patriots meant hopefully like i mean that's the goal right like we all want to get to where this team is playing meaningful games throughout the season and into january hopefully that day comes i don't know if david cully is going to be the coach but i'll tell you right now like i'll tell you two things one if if that game was a meaningful game then people would be even more you know up in arms than they are already like as it is right now half the fan base is okay with them losing the game because they want the number one pick in the draft number two david cully's answers to the question, like these answers where he's just coming up with some phantom incompletion that never happened. If Bill O'Brien, if Bill O'Brien gave the answer that David Culley gave on Monday that where he said, oh, it wasn't an incompletion. I had forgotten. I called a timeout and that's why the clock stopped. Like, can you imagine if Bill O'Brien gave that answer in a press conference? Like it, people would be storming the gates over at NRG Stadium. And I'm not saying that to stick up for O'Brien. I'm saying it just to illustrate how low the bar is right now for what our expectations are for David Culley. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. And I see we have two requests in there from Ryan and Chuck. Just uh, hang tight, guys. We'll get to you in a second. I got a couple other top-level points I wanted to get Sean's take on. So we talked about Davis Mills. You know, he had a fantastic first half. You know, still finished the finished the game with some solid numbers. Did have, you know, I can't remember the exact, the exact stat, but there was a stat out there that he had has never been done by a rookie quarterback. And so all that is fantastic and exciting and, and great to see him bounce back from a, a mental aspect after the performance in Buffalo. And, you know, like you said, it doesn't sound like Tyrod's going to come back this week. And if if Mills puts up even a similar performance or, you know, a mid-level performance against uh, Indy this coming weekend, I don't think Tyrod's coming back on the field whenever he is activated. I think the team is is going to continue on with Mills. This is just kind of based on things I hear. If Mills poops the bed again like he did in Buffalo, then I think Taylor's going to be put back on the field. But if he continues this progression, I think there's a real chance we might see Mills for a large, you know, the rest of the season, provided he stays healthy or doesn't, doesn't start going backwards again. I definitely think that makes more sense, right? Like it, it, with where this team is, I mean, this team's not going anywhere as far as the postseason goes. You used your, you used your first pick, the 67th pick, but it was the team's first pick on the guy. Um, and he's not, you know, other than the Buffalo game, he's not embarrassing himself out there. He's not great. Um, he was really good on Sunday at times. You know, he was okay against Carolina. I thought he got his, once he got his feet wet against Cleveland, considering that was his first NFL game he ever played in on the road. 
Um, that was <laughs> against a good defense. I thought that was fine. The Buffalo game was just a disaster. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm totally in agreement with you that as long as he, on Sunday against the Colts, doesn't have another Buffalo performance, um, let it ride. And, and, and we're going to – we have Nick Casario coming on the show tomorrow at 7.30. I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, we're, I mean, I've got that on the list of things to ask him about is, you know, like where, where we're at. I, I don't know how I'm going to phrase the question yet, but something along the lines of where are we at with David? You know, once Terod comes back, you know, what's the quarterback situation going to look like for this team? You know, something along those lines. It's, it's definitely on the, I, I think it's, I think it's certainly on the list of things that are, uh, that most fans are interested in right now. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's not, there's not a ton of, Juicy, juicy story. I shouldn't say that. I mean, there actually are some juicy storylines. Uh, there's a lot of things on my list right now that, that are yeah. considered juicy, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess, I, I, I guess, you know, like in terms of just battling for a roster spot, juicy, there aren't that many. There's plenty juicy, right, as far as guys like, are they going to get traded? What the hell is Lonnie Johnson doing on Twitter? Why did Charles Amenehu get deactivated this week? Um, is Zach Cunningham emo? Like all these things, you know, like it's so, yeah, there and, and you know, Laramie and his injury. Um, this might be the first time we talk to Casario where we don't really have a Deshaun question, you know what I mean? Which like, is, this, which like is good. Sh- I mean, yeah, yeah, like it's it's the ultimate holding pattern, and, and we know that the answer is going to be pretty generic anyway. So, you know, anytime you're doing an interview like that, and I know there's people, you know, there's people on this spaces that listen to our show and hear the Casario interviews and just, you know, for the benefit of, of, of them, you know, just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, you know, we've got X amount of time. We've got, you know, 15, 17 minutes with him. I know sometimes people get frustrated. Why didn't you ask about this? Why didn't you ask about this? Sometimes you don't ask because you know what the answer is going to be and it's not anything real productive and you're burning 30 to 45 seconds to a minute on something that doesn't, that doesn't have a productive answer. You know what I mean? And I think, Deshaun might fall in that category at this point. We've asked Deshaun questions where we've known what the answer is going to be before of Nick, and he's actually given us stuff that got picked up by the national media. You yeah, know and I, mean? I think like, the last two interviews, I think Schefter picked up and tweeted, you know, stuff from y'all's interview with him. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that there's anything like that out there potentially with Deshaun that Nick is going to give an answer to. Like for the, the you know, the, the two that that, I, that come to mind we were the first ones to find out that he wasn't traveling to Green Bay for the game. You know, Nick shared that with us. That was the first time that was shared with anybody publicly. So that was significant. And that the GM, I think we all knew that that was going to be the case, but that the GM is actually saying it um, was significant. And then the other thing was when he kind of alluded to training camp being sort of a drop dead date for some sort of decision. Um, That was kind of big too. I don't know what the big thing would be now with Deshaun, if we were to ask a Deshaun question, but We've got we've got twelve hours or ten hours to figure that out. No, and, and just to give you just a, a little bit of comparison, you know, we do these every week, and I think it's been now four or five weeks since Watson's even been mentioned on here, even from questions from from fans. I think I think majority of folks that are on here that are listening and same that listen to your show are pretty much understood that something's going to happen with him with the team at some point down the road. So. We'll leave it at that. And we'll... Yeah, and it, 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 real quick, it yeah. really feels like any time a Deshaun topic comes up, it's being pigeonholed at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's be, you know, like it's Jay Glazer brings up something about Deshaun, 
so they can get clicks yeah. and then we talk about it and it feels like we're totally pigeonholing. So I feel like that's kind of where we are right now with all of it. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan and Chuck just hang tight for a few more minutes, but I got one more, I got, well, I got a ton of talking points, but we'll get to what we can, but I wanted to talk about, uh, Chuck Menahue being inactive and, you know, I didn't really buy in buy the whole Jordan Jenkins needs a chance. You know, this isn't little league where, you know, somebody else's kid needs to take it gets a chance to play on the field. They need to be playing them the best players. And Jenkins had a had a good game, don't get me wrong, but Amini who is uh, by and far one of your top four or five defensive linemen on that on that front and should be active and should be playing and his and his numbers and performance bear that out. And you know, I've I've mentioned it a couple times on here in the past. We, we know who Omenihu's agent is. We've seen how we saw in camp how Omenihu kind of looks whenever Easter B comes by doing his little high fives through training camp on each person on the roster. And I'm just not entirely sure Omenihu's buying into what the Texans are selling this year. And what that leads to, I mean, he's got still got two year, you know, this year and next year left on his rookie contract. You know, wouldn't shock me to see him being be a potential trade target considering his performance and ability, you know, cause that it, I was listening to the Houston Texans show today on YouTube, the heck is on today and with uh, Harrison and Vandermeer and, and a lot of things he was talking about was buying into what we need from players, buying into, buying into taking on what we're teaching you and to take that to game day and not so much, performance but more about what we need out of players and that was to me that was very telling that they're still on this kick for building culture built rebuilding the locker room and not so much geared up on performance on the field but more or less are you doing what we need you to do in in meetings are you doing what we need you to do on the practice field being a being a, a Houston Texan like we need you to be versus just being able to go out there and whatever your position may be and having a, 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 an excellent performance. So I say all that to say, I'm just not entirely sure of many who's buying into what Texans are selling. And I'm not sure how long he's going to be here, especially if he keeps up the, the attitude issues that I keep hearing about going on and behind the scenes with him. Well, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, look, he, he's, there's no way you can look at his performance this year unless he just had a week of practice where he was drunk. You know what I mean? Like it, like unless the, unless from the end of the bills game through the time where they had to make a determination to make an active, an active for the Patriots game, like unless he was, you know, like literally running around the building, tearing things off the wall and breaking things and just being completely disruptive. Why is he not on the field? You know, especially against a team that's playing a bunch of backups on the offensive line. That would seem to be a chance for him to eat. It's just it's discouraging because there aren't many young players on this team that you feel like have upside right now. And like he's, not and only he's one they, of them. He's one he's of He's one of them. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, I think I think Lonnie Johnson falls into that category. I think there's you know, I think I think uh, many who's been a better player than Lonnie Johnson, but I'll put Lonnie Johnson in that category of player where he's a little emo on social media. You could see where maybe Lonnie John. There's some things about Lonnie Johnson that probably don't really jive with the new regime, so they might want to move him. But at the same time, like Lonnie Johnson's one of the only guys making plays on the football right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I'm not saying he's been great or anything like that, but he's certainly been better than Eric Murray. 
And he's certainly somebody, I don't even, I know he's in year three, but he's in year two of being a safety. And his first year was a COVID year. Like Lonnie Johnson is somebody that if I could put all the Twitter drama aside with Lonnie, I just look at him as a player. I go, man, I'm really rooting for this guy. And I'm rooting for him even with the Twitter drama, but the Twitter drama makes him less likable. Um, but I, you know, like there aren't many of those guys on this team, you know, like you're all that's left from the, like, of, think of, think about how few rookie contracts there are on this team. The only ones you got left from the 2018 class are Reed and Akins. And I don't know if either of them are going to be here after this year. A- Akins and, not. I mean, I, I think, it's pretty clear that he's not a part of this team's future. And, and Justin Reed, he, and I think he fully understands that this league is a business and he's not going to have any very much. I mean, he'll say all the right things as many players do. And I've, I've always said that I'm, you know, players should go get paid when they can get paid and doesn't matter where it's at because these careers are so short. So when you can get it, you get it. And, Justin Reed pegs me as a guy who knows this is a business and is going to do the right thing for him. And he's not going to chase down loyalty. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then the 2019 class, you got Titus Howard, who's a mess right oh, now. Gosh, you, yeah. got, you got Max Sharping, who's, you know, uh, not great. Uh, Lonnie Johnson, who there's, you know, today there's more trade rumors about Lonnie. And then a Menahue, who was deactivated this past week for reasons unknown. And then the 20 class, you got Blacklock, who's COVID. Grenard actually is Grenard's is a, a shining light so far. Trending, trending up, and then and then who knows what Charlie Heck is? You know, yeah. um, you know Char- Charlie Heck is in the starting lineup now, and he had a good camp. And I think there's, I, I definitely think there's something there for a fourth round pick. I think there's something there with Charlie. We got all this year's rookies. There's just the numbers in terms of young, foundational players on this team is so minimal you know what i mean like it's it there's just there's there's nothing there in that category to attach a lot of hope to you know you juxtapose it to the rockets like you can see like the rockets are going to be just as bad as the texans within you know with respect to where they are within their respective leagues this year but at least the rockets are doing it with like five or six young players that you know are going to be something the texans are going to have guys like that eventually they just don't have them right now and until you know who they are it's really hard to it's it's really hard to to ramp, amp up that enthusiasm for the future. Yeah. All right, well, we'll jump over and take a question from uh, Ryan Johnston. So, Ryan, I'm sending you speaking rights. Go ahead, Ryan. What you got, buddy? Welcome back. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, good. Um, so, I listen to six ten every morning, and Sean, I love your intake. Um, or, or, or your uh, comments, but so my my main question here is, and I know our team's a mess, right? But why why did this week our offensive line look so much better than the previous two weeks? Well, I think just off the jump, I think the pass rush that Buffalo had is far superior to what New England had, and. I know my New England buddies in here listening, so no offense, Miguel. But, you know, I just – Buffalo just brought it to that offensive line. And I've said it from the beginning that I never thought Cannon was fully healthy. I don't think his legs were underneath him to begin with. So, at, right off the bat, I think Heck was just – even if it was a marginal improvement, it was an improvement. And 
from there, you know, I think it's just more cohesiveness, more more timing with with um, Mills and his drop back steps and how that flows with the offensive group. So, and just the team just needed a bounce back. I mean, it, that's just a natural thing that occurs in many cases where you just get your blowers, your doors blown off, and to turn around and put together a decent performance followed up by that. So, I mean, I've, I've said before, I'm not an X and X's and O's guys, and you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of what makes what made them better this week versus last week. I mean, last week, you know, there was some film posted on Twitter that it just you could see there was no communication between Howard and Tunsil. Tunsil just wasn't getting off off the line like he normally would with the same type of burst. Didn't seem to be putting in the same type of effort. And, you know, maybe maybe Garon Christian was putting in just a little more effort. And as scary as that is to say that he put in the same type of effort as, as Tunsil is, is hard to think about. But I think you just add all that up together. I think that's why you see just a, an improved performance for the offensive line. I think the one thing I would add to that, I agree with everything you just said. I think the one thing I would add to that would be just, you know, sheer, the sheer environment. You know, you're, all the communication issues that we're talking about, I think, are probably a whole lot harder when you're on the road, especially on the road where they were on the road. I mean, that, that, that stadium was crazy. So you, you add the environment, you know, it's raining, it's nasty, it's Buffalo. You know, they're a good team. I think I, I think that adds to it too. You know, you come back home, and it's just it's a much friendlier environment to be able to, um, you know, to be able to, to communicate, to, to be able to you know hear the the cadence and everything. It's just a friendlier environment to, to be able to execute. Now, I will point out they still weren't great running the football. Like they they still can't run the football. Like it doesn't matter where what stadium they're playing in which five they have out there, who's on the other side, they will average 2.7 yards a carry until they're not averaging 2.7 yards a carry anymore. Like, it's they can't run the football. Yeah, and it is quite – I mean, I, you know, we we hear about Scotty Phillips and whether he'll be – he'll make a difference or not, and I'm not entirely sure he will. Maybe he maybe he would. I I, I don't know. I just I feel like the, the run blocking is just so bad that I don't – you could stick – the Damon and Tomlinson back there and it, it, he's still going to yeah. run into a wall. So, you know, Ryan, I hope that answers your question, man. You have anything else? Yeah. Yeah. I guess my question, uh, my point is, is that, you know, Davis Mills, when he's had time, he's been successful, right? Like he, you know, he, he had a drive there against a uh, uh, Cleveland and, you know, he had some, some moments in Carolina and he had no moments in Buffalo, but it, it seemed like the, the large majority of the game and uh, against New England, he had opportunities, right? And I, and I get it. We haven't had, we haven't been able to run the ball, and I get that, and that's frustrating, right? And maybe that is due to a back not being able to get to the hole quick enough. I don't know. Well, time will tell, right? Um, but uh, you know, my, I guess my question is, but watching this game on Sunday was I'm like, holy shit, you know, I mean, he's got time. So, you know, I just wonder why he didn't have time before. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a very fair question. And, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, looking at PFF information and I know we all take PFF with a grain of salt, but if you look at his passing pressure numbers, he was kept clean on 78% of his dropbacks, which was a dramatic improvement from the Buffalo game. And wow. his, his passing grade 
was a 90.9, which is very high in the terms of PFS, PFF's eyes. You know, but it drops down to a 40.3 when he's under pressure. But being being kept clean for 78, 78% of his dropbacks is a massive improvement. And it's it's clear. I mean, he can throw on the run. He he definitely made a good you know good hand good handful of throws on the on the rollouts and moving the pocket. But you're you're spot on, Ryan. When he's got a clean view and he can put his back foot in the ground and put on you know put down the proper mechanics, really step into it, turn his hips, make the move. He he can make majority of the NFL throws based on the limited view that we've seen so far. So at this point, he's he's got all he's got that part. He's got the athletic ability from a throwing aspect. You know, it's just whether or not the offensive line can keep him clean. Or can we put an offensive line around him, right? I mean, they've got so much invested in this offensive line. I mean, they've got multiple ones. They've got a two, a, you know, a second-round pick in there. And, they, you know, they've got, you know, free agent, all veterans who are all pedigree players from past. I mean, they they have all the equity that majority of teams have in that offensive line. And so whether – those group of guys don't do or don't work together or it's a James Campen thing or you know they're still I know James Campen teaches a different technique than Devlin did so whether it's a technique and learning that technique and learning that scheme time will tell so hopefully those things will come together for us yeah I appreciate it Ryan yeah righty, Chuck we'll get to you in one second buddy let me move around here all right, let me jump over back to my list. So another thing I wanted to get into was and we kind of ask this every week, Sean. So what are what are the players so what are the players so far that came over on one year deals that interest you for potential re signing? And this okay. this list changes weekly for me. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that um and it changes weekly for me too. And 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 I guess we we need to caveat like if I'm naming these guys, it doesn't mean that I want to bring them back on, you know, four years, $70 million or something like that. Just who are guys that I, that, that I would bring back at what we could consider a reasonable market deal for these guys. You know, like who, who would I be willing to invest in of the, so of the, of the one year guys, um, side of the football, let's see, none of the running backs, uh, on the offensive line, I, you know, Justin Britt is a guy who I've said throughout training camp and the early part of the season that he's a guy. I don't know that his performance so far this season has necessarily matched up to how I felt about him coming into the season. But he's still somebody that I'm enthusiastic about. Just at the right price, I would be okay with Justin Britt being one of those guys. Um, most of them are on the defensive side of the ball. Like Desmond King, I think, has done some decent things. He would be a guy that I would look at. Uh, Kamu Gruzier Hill is another guy who flashes from time to time. I know the linebackers haven't been great this year, but again, at the right price, I think he might be a guy. If Malik Collins could stop roughing the passer, he would be a guy who I would consider bringing back. We could just get him to put his helmet about six inches down when he yeah. comes into the quarterback and we'd be okay. Yeah, because he's been all right. You know what I mean? Like, he's been okay. Um, so th- those are the ones. Like, uh, you know, like I mean, Christian Kirksey's done some decent things this year. Like there, there's nobody that just completely jumps off the page at me, and I think that's you know, if they were wired to jump off the page, they wouldn't be with the Texans on a one-year deal. But we're you know we're talking about role players here, you know, and willing to invest two or three years in a role player. I would say those are the names off the top of my head. 
Yeah, and that's that's pretty much in line with what I have. Farrell Brown has yeah. fallen off of my list. He was yeah. on the list for the first couple of weeks, and now he's off of it. We'll see if he makes yeah. it back onto the list towards the end of the year. But, no, definitely, uh, you know, Kirksey, I mean, he's 30 years old. That's That's my only hesitation about him. I think he would be – a good player to potentially bring back on another one-year deal from a veteran leadership standpoint, but he's 30 and you know, whether that leads into the the downturn from there, but you know, Grugier Hill definitely at the top of the list. Justin Britt is, and Malik Collins, all people that I would be interested in bringing back. Um, You know, Chris Connolly, he's, he's, you know, He's, you know, it's just great. If you bring him back, cool. If not, you know, no big, no big deal. I, I bring him back on the same deal he's got right now. Yeah, one, he wants to come back on a one year, a couple million bucks. Yeah, like I think that. he's one point five this year, so yeah, it's not going to hurt any feelings one way or the other. But I mean, the the list was stronger the first two weeks of the season, then it kind of shortened up the last couple of weeks. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of, kind of, kind of keep an eye on that. You know, we we usually just kind of week to week see who. Who who are we wanting to bring back? So that it's would like bracket, it's like it's like bracketology. You know? so, yeah, sorry, it's like y'all circle circle of trust kind of thing that y'all do. Circle of trust. It's the one year. <laughs> it's the one year journeyman circle of trust. That's yep. what it is. All right, we'll jump over here to Chuck. He's been waiting patiently, and Chuck always has great questions each week. Chuck, you are connected. Take yourself off mute, buddy. There you are. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Thanks, Cap. And uh, hey, Sean's good to talk to you. I know we don't usually see uh, eye to eye on, you know, the tweeting and all that kind of stuff once in a while. But uh, I, I think. Um, uh, Wait, hold on, hold on, Chuck. Chuck, who are you on Twitter? We, we don't see eye to eye. Chuck Sports Bar. But anyway. Okay. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. sometimes. That's okay. So- no, it's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Sometimes, sometimes. But um, hey, you know. Uh, one thing I will say is, uh, you know, I, I'm listening and, and, and I still got I'm one of the, the diehards that still has season tickets. And I, I, I still went, I went to the last uh, the last home game and I'm just kind of soaking it in. And, yeah, you sent yeah. A, just a horrible picture to me, man. That was there an introduction. Yeah, that was <laughs> okay. there, that was that was intro. And okay. I was just baffled, you know, and um, all the season ticket holders is two left um, next to me. And and uh She's a uh, cancer uh, survivor, so we've been friends for quite a while, and she's diehard because of what the Texans have done for her personally. But I, I guess all around me, it's, it's uh, transients, uh, one day one day stops, and you know people are going up and down, can't find their seat because of the wrong sections and all that kind of stuff. So I'm seeing this evolve, and and I guess uh, Sean, you know, let's 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 think about this for a minute. I want get your perspective on this. Are we really surprised? At, at, at the Coley decision-making skills, are we really surprised that this is not the plan? It, it seems to me, and, and I like the the poker uh, analogy. Or I'm sorry, the blackjack analogy. I've heard you say that more than once, but I, you know what? If I would even settle for like you know casino war at the Venetian at this point with this guy, the point I guess, what, what why are we really really looking at this guy as as some type of he's he's not a buffoon, but he's he doesn't know what's going on. He's almost like Jack Hardy without the headset connected back in the day with the, the Oilers. Who's really running the show here on the sidelines, and why are they questioning? Number one, I want to I want to ask you: is you got Lovey Smith over there, um, and you have some other veteran uh, personnel. Pep, you got these coaches on there. He is Coley to me is a play by play 
coach. And like you said, when you burn those timeouts and, and you do those things, those in itself versus the actual um, manning of the team is more uh, demoralized to me as a player, or I would think, you know, even in high school, if you feel that your coach can't make decisions, it doesn't matter who you play next to in the trenches or in the backfield or in the secondary. If your coach can make, can't make those decisions, that's more demoralizing. So let's, are we really surprised? Number one, number two, I'm still on that Taylor trade by the deadline. And I, I'm still thinking that I still feel that. And I know we've talked about that before cap. And I don't know if anybody really believes this, but I'm all about let's let's move him out to um, see what you get for Tunsil. I really like what Casero's doing, and um, you know that's more down both your alleys. And there's other things I want to discuss, but could you please elaborate on that? Because you, uh, Sean, you brought up a good point about week by week. So one week, you know, oh let's bring Tyrod back because oh now Davis looks good. I mean, let's be perspective to me is this also. If you look at this year's quarterback class that we're seeing playing on the college gridiron right now i mean davis mills could have possibly gone back on a on exemption be a super senior and he'd probably be a, a talked about commodity oh. um and we got him in third round last year let's go who is this guy so i'm, I'm really curious on, on sean if you think and, and cap and i kind of talk about this once in a while but but think about is it really i mean as we get down to that trade deadline, is it possible is it is it possible we can just go ahead and Get rid of – no, I'll say get rid of, of Taylor. That sounds bad. But can we move these for more assets for the draft because there's nothing out there for next year in, in, in the uh, QB, uh, um, I guess, future. And if he gets more assets, we can trade down and get more first-round uh, picks or second-round picks. Yeah. Yeah, so – Okay, so so there's, there's a few things there. The, the, I'll start with the last one first. Could they trade Terod Taylor before the trade deadline? I, I've thought about that for a while. I, uh, I, that, that would be one, it has to, it's a super nuanced thing because, okay, who's, what are you trading? What are you looking to get for him? What is the hamstring injury due to his value? I mean, the trade deadline is going to be here before we know it. It's, it's three weeks from today yep. is the trade deadline. So it's, it's coming up and he's not even ready to come back off the injured list. So that's, that's problematic. Um, like, I don't think they're just going to dump Terod Taylor for a sixth round pick or something like that. I really don't. And this is the guy who was your starting quarterback coming into the year. Um, and, and so I, I, I just, I don't think, I think there are guys they would dump for a sixth round pick. I don't think Terod Taylor is one of them. Let's pretend for a second though, that he, his hamstring gets a clean bill of health after the indie game and that there are teams with a need. I, like I look around the league and I go, okay, who's the team? Hey, maybe Washington's a team that would look to get to Rod Taylor. Some of it's going to, some of it will involve who are the teams that feel like they still have a chance to do something this year. Um, who are the teams that have a roster where they go, you know what? You know, we're, we feel like we can at least compete with the Terod Taylor that the Texans got for the first six weeks of the year. That was a pretty damn good Terod Taylor they had for the first six weeks. I think it's going to be more about, who's out there that would want to trade for Taylor than it is the willingness of the Texans to trade Taylor. Like it takes two to tango. And I think the harder part is going to be finding the person to tango with for the Texans. than it is the Texans talking themselves into, into trading to Rod Taylor. Cause I don't think they're just going to dump him. You know, like I don't think some teams are going to, you know, we need a veteran backup just, to, just in case Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Uh, you know, we need a veteran backup, so well, let's call up Nick Casario and offer him a six-round pick. Like, I don't think they're going to do that with Terod Taylor. Like, it's just my gut, my gut feel on that. 
Um, as far, Chuck, as your first question goes, um, the, you know, uh, are we surprised that David Culley is making mistakes like this? I'm surprised that the mistakes are this bad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, su I'm not surprised that there's been some game management issues because there's game management issues sometimes even with good coaches, you know, from time to time. Um, look, one of David Culley's mentors is Andy Reid, and I think that's showing. <laughs> you know, like it, Andy Reid has major game management issues from time to time. I, I just – I didn't think that they would be so bad. Like, I didn't think they would be good morning football laughing at the Texans on Monday bad. You know what I mean? Like, well, a guy declining a, de declining a penalty so that he could punt from midfield in the Cleveland game, you know, and then all the things that went on against New England. I just well, – I didn't think – I didn't think it would be so horrific. What do you think about this, Sean, though? Because O'Brien was a, quote, protege from Belichick, and we all just – crucified him every week he also ran a major college program and brought it back from the dead and we were like this guy doesn't know how to run it so my i guess my i guess my my the baffling that i have is like nobody should be surprised because this guy wasn't even running for any other head coaching position and he was a special teams guy so it shouldn't be surprising because if bill o'brien could get in there after quote being in the belichick tree coaching brady and he's making bonehead decisions that's why i mean this should not be a surprise because you get what you get and you don't throw a fit so i mean at least o'brien had some type of pedigree this guy's nothing so when i'm sitting there and even in the stands like i said before my friend that has these tickets and she's like well are we are, are we is that what are they doing out there it looks like a chinese fire drill i hope i didn't offend nobody but it was like just everybody's running all over the place there's 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 like 30 players in the field at one time yeah, total. I mean, that that's where I'm getting at with this. That's why we know we should not be surprised. No, well, but I, but that's you know, and Chuck, that 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 goes back. I, I, I will like that's where I'm saying like I'm surprised that it's chaos when these decisions are being made. You know what I mean? Like I'm not surprised wrong decisions are getting made because wrong decisions are made a lot in the NFL every weekend by coaches. But the and I, and I'll say this as somebody who was at every practice during training camp, and I know Cap was out there too. Like, it, it looked like a pretty smoothly run operation. Out there. And I know training camp practices are not the same as the, you know, the play clock winding down in an NFL game and you got to make it. Like, I know, I, I know they're two different things, but I think that there are some things that you can draw from just the, you know, the organizational skills of a head coach, the processing skills of a head coach. And it looked like a really – it looked like during training camp this was at the very least going to be a smoothly run operation. Maybe the talent level wasn't going to be very high, but things look smooth out there. I, so from that standpoint, I'm surprised that it's just sheer chaos at times when those decisions are made. Like that part, I'm not, I'm not surprised that he's misplaying some of these things and that his gut feel that he talks about is wrong, that his compass is wrong. It's that he's got to take 50 seconds to arrive at his compass being wrong. And, maybe, and, and Chuck, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe, I, may, maybe I've got too flowery an outlook on the whole thing coming into it. But that part, that, that part is, uh, is, a little, is a little surprising to me that it's that bad. One last thing, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll go ahead and mute myself off, but do you think it's possible he's a one-and-done uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, look. I think anything's possible. Yeah, I, I've come to the conclusion that anything is possible with Casario. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, I think anything. I think anything's possible. Like we, it's funny. Um, you know, when when we go on uh, stations in other markets, which we've been, like Seth and I have been doing, probably five to ten times more that this 
particular year, this calendar year, than we ever have before because of all the drama and weirdness surrounding the Texans. Most of it, Deshaun, is when we go on. But but the Texans are such a curiosity outside of this market for the weirdness of everything. We get asked all the time, about Deshaun and something about Deshaun, but it can be about other things, Easterby or whatever. Whenever somebody outside the market says, do you think it's possible that dot, 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 the answer is always with the Texans, of course it is. They made Bill O'Brien the general manager. You know what I mean? Like they, they traded DeAndre Hopkins for uh, a second round pick. You know, they, 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 I mean, we could, we all, everybody on this call knows the list. I mean, we, we could sit here and I could list 10 other things where 31 other teams look at it and go, what are they doing? Um, so yes, do I think it's possible he's one and done? Absolutely, it's possible. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Like if I were betting on it, I would bet no. But I think it's certainly in play. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. And there's, I mean, there's a ton to unpack and what uh, what Chuck was bringing up, and it and it kind of leads me down to another path. We'll kind of shift topics just a little bit. And Chuck, thanks as always for for the outstanding questions and and joining us each week. It makes me wonder, you know. There's there's kind of two paths that you that we can kind of look at with Coley. You know, the locker room, the culture. Like you said, training camp ran smooth. Everybody was happy and go lucky and ready to go. Unless you unless you had a false start or something, but and then Coley would get fired up. But you know that part of it, and then there's the game day part of it. The part behind you know the day to day that's not on Sunday. He seems to have the game day is the part that's questioning. And I wonder if the game day issues are going to trickle over to the locker room. And I, and I, and I say that as, are we going to have any more veteran defectors kind of thing? Are we going to have more players who are ready to, who want to get out of here? Like Zach Cunningham, who asked for a trade at the, at the very end of preseason and the Texans tried and couldn't find anybody. You know, are you going to find more players like that, even if some of the one-year guys that are just like, why am I here? We're we're not going to win anything. Why are you wasting my time? So I'm very curious in that that whole part comes to it and how he's going to be able to manage those type of players. And I think you'll see that when it comes to the inactive list week in and week out. If you see key players like Omenahue that was put on inactive – and their performance is fine, and they weren't on the injury report all week. Then I think there's something something going on there, and that's something to keep keep kind of keep an eye on week to week. And that leads up to the trade deadline, which you said Sean is in three weeks. I'm you know I'm not going to say fire sell, but I wouldn't be shocked to see key players, key veterans that are that are moved off of this roster via trade, and. It could be a tonsil, which I think his thumb injury just is horrific timing from a, from a trade asset point. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, I, I think he was very realistically a, a, a very strong trade asset. This either from the dra- trade deadline, but hopefully the thumb will be fine come springtime, and you know he's a trade asset come March. Cunningham, maybe they can get something for him. A Minihue, you know, merciless. I don't think anybody's going to trade for. I. I've been saying week in and week out that Cooks is not a trade candidate because the team loves him from a, a culture and locker room standpoint. But, you know, he's his contract goes through through 2022 and then it avoids after that. But I've come to the conclusion I think he's a trade asset. And, and I think at this point 
from what I've been hearing, almost every, with the exception of certain players from the 2021 draft class and 2020 draft class, nobody is untouchable on this roster when it comes to trade. Just the compensation has got to be right. Casario is not going to give them away for free. That makes that makes total sense. That that makes absolute total sense. I you know here's about what you were talking about at the beginning there, um, about guys looking to you know veteran guys looking to get up and out. I think my I have two concerns relative to the things you were saying, which is one is is there, is there a blueprint that's now being put together by certain guys to sort of a how-to on how to get up and out of here if you want to. You know what? Start acting up on social media. Start being a little truculent in the locker room. Start being a little difficult to work with, and they'll trade you. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a good place to be. Like, you, at some point, the team has to embrace having guys whose personalities don't perfectly line up with what their view, with what the Texans' view of the world is. You know what I mean? Like, they can't be disruptive, but, like, I, they, but it can't. It can't, and this this is something that predates Casario. Uh, you know, the, the the you know like Clowney was like that. You know, Clowney, I think Hopkins. You know, like they, they they you know they were a little glitchy with Hopkins' personality, and that guy's one of the best at what he does. At some point, you, you know, at some point the talent needs to be the preeminent thing that takes over as to why you're keeping guys. So that's as I watch this, I'm really anxious to watch this play out over the next three weeks to see which guys, as you said, which guys are inactive. Which guys get traded, and what what did their act look like leading up to that? Were they able to just sort of sulk their way off of the team to where they were able to get exactly what they wanted, which was to not be here anymore? The other thing that through and what the what the mood is like in the locker room, and this goes beyond just the guys who are a little emo right now, like Lonnie and Charles Abenyu and other guys like that. Uh, Zach Cunningham, maybe, is when when do Cully's decisions that are losing games for them or certainly impacting the probability of them winning games, when does that become an issue even for guys who are dyed-in-the-wool Cully guys? You know what I mean? Like, we're working like our Mark, ass Mark off Ingram all. or something, you know. Yeah, like Mark Ingram. When does he is, say, what we're doing is not working? What what, what you're selling is not, not working? But you're losing games for us, coach. Like, I'm out here getting my ass kicked for 16 to 20 carries every week. I'm practicing hard. I'm, I'm being a leader. I'm saying all the right things. And you're kicking 56-yard field goals. Like, you're accepting penalties when we need to let them score and get the ball back. And, you know, and we can go back and list that every week there's at least one decision where we're like, what the hell is he doing? You know, it's similar to what it was with O'Brien. But Cully's, I can't believe I'm saying this, Cully's have been even worse than O'Brien's decisions were, um, you know, in terms of game management. When does that start to impact even the most, you know, of culture guys? You know what I mean? Where they're like, well, this sucks. Like, we're losing games because our coach can't make the right decision. Like, I'm getting my ass kicked. I'm going home and I can, I, you know, like by week 13, I can barely pick up my kids, you know. And this guy is calling a timeout to kick a 56-yard field goal. What the hell is that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's it, I hate to be talking in this frame of reference on week five and six. I was hoping to not have these kind of discussions, hopefully till like week 10 or 12. But, God, the season's going to get very long and very tough for Coley 
if you start seeing like you're talking about more veteran defect defectors or the diet of the wool coley guys that start raising questions of what are we doing here and you know things not that things are not not bad already but things can turn horribly bad very quickly in that locker room so you know whether or not Col- that's going to be the main I, you know to me i think that's kind of be more important for coley versus the game day critical decisions i think his management of the locker room going forward is going to be another huge piece to this that we're gonna to have to watch going forward so you know that you know we'll see we're at uh we're right up uh, right up at 10 o'clock so i had only had like 12 more points to make and we we, we didn't get to them but that's okay um you know we had some good questions tonight we had uh, upwards of 75 listeners at, at various points through here um as always you know i appreciate everyone listening sean truly appreciate you taking the time like i said this earlier i know it was a a, a long day for you between the morning show and then the te- the astros taking care of business and then you know your other your other uh, other things you're working on so truly appreciate you taking the time to come on here with me and and talk some texans Anytime, and at least the Astros won, so that makes the sleep. You know, I'm about to go to sleep. That makes the sleep even better. Yeah, get you about four hours of sleep and get wired up in the morning for it. Yeah, I mean, it's is it was exciting, and that the the Altuve home run at the end just was fantastic. It was the best. It was. I think I I think I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed some of his walk offs. You know what I mean? Because because symbolically, for them to get to ten runs in this game, given what that. Tapura guy was saying yeah, all week. On, yeah, away, you know, and yeah. in Chicago to do that was just yeah, just the yeah. chef's kiss of it all. It was just mm, exactly what we needed. The chef's kiss is what it was. I'm stealing that for tomorrow. That was the <laughs> chef's kiss of home runs, and then it was Altuve hitting it made it even better. It was it was great. It was it was awesome. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I appreciate it, and uh, you know, we'll uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, we. We officially have a name of this thing, Cap and Trade, and I'm going to take this recording and do my little dump, and we'll uh, we'll have a podcast of this, and we'll we'll hope to do that going forward to where we take these recordings and we redistribute them as a podcast, so that folks that who were unable to to catch up with us can you know listen on their own time going forward. So once again, Sean. We'll, you know, appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll shut it down for the night. Appreciate everyone taking the time to listen in, and uh, hope everyone has a good evening. <laughs>